Double your pleasure, double your fun. Who is the ad wizard who came up with that one? Uh, The Mets kept getting on base against the Giants Wednesday night. The Mets kept banging into double plays Wednesday night. Twin killings, they used to be called until enough parents of twins complained about that and us announcer types acquiesced. Whatever you want to call those things, they showed up like robocalls one right after another, which reminds me your social security number has been compromised and I'll need some information. Mets lose a tough one again, and we'll talk about it straight ahead. Mets in the morning. Mets in the morning. Oh, yeah. Mets in the morning. Gonna tell you what the Mets are doing while coffee is brewing now. Here's Josh Lewin. Boy, every chance in the world for the Mets to steal one from the Giants Wednesday night. They failed to execute the heist. A nail-biter of a ball game, especially the bottom of the ninth. The home team falls yet again, 3-2. They're now 2-10 in this nightmare run against the Creme de la West Coast Creme. Josh Lewin with you. We will take this one from the top from City Field. Francisco Lindor not in the starting lineup, and that was bad optics. Some were grumbling. Yes, they're being cautious. I get it. The performance staff recommended it. The manager listened. Lindor did too. Remember, he was out for five and a half weeks, had no rehab assignments. But the night before, in the postgame presser, Lindor had said, the time is now. We have to start winning games immediately. Well, if indeed he's a key piece, if not the key piece, how is he not insisting he has to be in there, right? After an 8 nothing loss the night before. That was a talk show fodder. I get it. Kind of presented itself like the scene in 16 Candles when the one fancy grandmother offered to help the less fancy grandma in the kitchen making breakfast and ultimately just said, uh, I'll just open the donuts. Lindor does want to be in there. He does want to help. He's not just opening donuts. But here's the thing. The Mets are eight games under 500 without Lindor in the lineup, nine games under now, five games over with him in the starting lineup. So if indeed it's go time, fatigued from the night before or not, I get why fans would say, gotta be green means go, three dozen games to play. Easy for us to say because it's not our hamstring. But man, we waited all this time to see Lindor and Baez playing astride of each other. This is the big push, right? If we're all channeling the you-gotta-believe spirit of 73, those Mets killed it down the stretch after they got healthy. They won 24 of their last 33 to, yes, take the division title. That's still in play here in 2021, but San Francisco came in having won 20 of 27, a season where everyone for them is playing above their pay grade. The Mets, of course, quite the opposite. And actually, before we get to the game, let's talk for just a minute about the team the Mets are chasing. For Atlanta, now seven ahead of the Mets, industry insiders gave them very little chance to catch the Mets and Phillies without Ronald Acuna. The front office felt otherwise. It was in Denver during the week of the All-Star events. Their GM, Alex Anthopoulos, went over to the Cubs and said, uh, what can we do here? They weren't ready to deal the Bryans and Baez's and Kimbrels and Rizzo's yet, but they gave them Jock Peterson. Then the Braves got Stephen Voigt to come in, or Stephen Vogt, excuse me, to come in. I always say that wrong. The Braves were just bobbing along, one game under 500. They were 18 games without back-to-back wins or losses, and they were in exactly the same spot in the standings at that July 30th trade deadline. They were four games behind the Mets. The Braves felt they had a competitive team, and because neither the Mets nor the Phillies had run away with anything, The Braves said, let's assess things and address some issues. So, 
They got the outfield depth they needed. Duvall, Rosario, Soler. They got the bullpen piece in Richard Rodriguez. And you know the rest. The Mets started plummeting. The Braves started ascending. They hopped into first place August 11th when Ozzie Albies hit a walk-off home run. And they are still there today. Their infield we've talked about has been rock solid over there. Freeman, Albies, Swanson, Austin Riley. All those guys have played at least 124 of 126 games. No rest for the weary over there. The 24-year-old Riley has actually been the most valuable of that infield quartet. 296 batting average, 27 home runs. Overall, Braves third baseman this year hitting 303, 28-81. Mets third baseman this year, 248. They're a 15-43. So this is not David Wright against Chipper Jones anymore. And a reminder, in fairness for the Mets here, J.D. Davis hasn't been healthy much of the year. No one's been healthy much of the year. Dom Smith is the only Mets position player from the opening day roster who's yet to be on the IL, and he still is just 33rd in the National League in plate appearances. The losing is taking its toll. I think of a guy like Jonathan Villar. Guy has played in 815 big league games, been on the winning side of only 349 of them, a personal winning percentage of 427. So you've got Villar at third in this game, Baez at short, McNeil at second, Lindor on the bench, though he would get in. Number 99 to the mound, Taiwan Walker. Used to wear double zero, but that's Mr. Met's number. Tony Clark made that mistake for a week as a Met wearing the mascot's number, then he switched. I kind of wanted to see double O and single O in the Mets rotation, Walker and Stroman. There was one team that had a zero and double zero in the same season, the 1985 Blue Jays. Al Oliver wore O for Oliver. Cliff Johnson wore double O. Well, just because he was Cliff Johnson and he did whatever he wanted to. Walker working with Pat Mazika, making his seventh start at catcher in the last eight games with McCann and Nito still on the IL. Brad Ausmus, a uh, neighbor of mine, by the way, out here in California, about 20 big league seasons. And he used to always talk about how the job of the catcher is to create conviction in the pitcher. I, I love that, and I see some of that in Mazika, despite the fact he looks like he's a guitarist for my morning jacket. Uh, the Giants don't exactly have the most star-studded rotation, but their catchers are Buster Posey and Kurt Casale, later of whom made some history earlier this year. He caught shutouts and five straight starts from five different pitchers. Those guys are known as pitchers' catchers, and when Posey retires, it's, it's very possible he'll be in Cooperstown, partly because of that, partly because of his hitting. But the best catchers are the pitching whisperers. They're the FAA control tower for the pilots. Mark Burley, good example, won 214 games, says he never studied a game plan or shook off a catcher. Said, I just concentrated on my execution, let the other guy think for me. Chris Sale learned from Burley. He says, if I stood out there on the mound and tried to remember what I'm supposed to throw to every hitter, I'd be standing there trying to think and not throw. So his catcher, a guy who knows his way around the block and can both inhale and execute the game plan. That is really important. The Giants have that. The Cardinals have had it for 18, going on 19 years with Yadi Molina. I like thinking maybe the Mets are getting there too someday with Mazika as a Casale type, and hopefully someday Francisco Alvarez is their posy, or dare I say Yadi Molina. Anyway, Walker and Mazika working well. Walker continues to impress in his first year as a Met. I think that mid-July to mid-August swoon was just a little speed bump. He took a shutout into the fourth, but then one of those ex-Cubs homered, and uh, no, it was not Javi Baez, although he did make a heck of a defensive play that inning. But his former teammate, Chris Bryant, 
with a long home run, so the Giants had the jump yet again, one nothing. Walker helped get the Mets tied up in the bottom of the fifth. He singled Jonathan VR to second with a little dunker in a center. Yeah, Walker with a hit. In fact, he had two in this game. He had come in one for 39 this year, a batting average in the 020s. But this game, two for two, so now he's a, a bingo number. He's 073. With runners at first and second, Pete Alonso now with a 10-game hit streak, which is a career high. He rolled one to Chris Bryant at third. And you know that throw across the diamond he made in 2016 to win the Cubs a World Series? Yeah, well, this time he threw it away. And the tying run scored. The former Cleveland Indian Lindor from the dugout, I'm sure, was thinking, yeah, now, now you throw that ball away. That chased Johnny Cueto, who's made only 101 starts during his six-year contract for the Giants. Jose Alvarez relieved him. McNeil popped out to end the threat. 1-1 until the bottom of the sixth. Conforto, a single the other way. You love that. Baez moved him along with a grounder to first. That put things right on a platter for a man who just had a few days off. Dominic Smith. Swing and a liner down the right field line. It's a fair ball. Base hit going into the corner. The Mets take the lead. Around third, coming home to score, standing Conforto. Digging for second, Smith. He's in safely ahead of the throw with a head first slide. An RBI double for Dominic Smith. The Mets are leading by a score of 2-1. to one. Howie Rose with the call on WCBS. So, so long 0 for 17 streak for Dom. Walker back to work in the seventh, working on his second straight one hitter at City Field. He had actually taken a no-hitter through six against the Dodgers before Will Smith blasted one to Mars. This time, in the seventh, he would need a little help. A fielding error by VR opened the inning. When Alex Dickerson singled to left, it was two on, no outs. And time, uh, in the words of the Blues brothers, for here we go, loop-de-loop. The call going out for the Louisiana lefty, Aaron Loop who in 34 games since the middle of May has allowed one run, an ERA of 0.3. Six walks, 32 strikeouts. Not a single extra base hit allowed to a lefty all year. Well, first pitch to a lefty, uh, a slider roped in a right field by Brandon Crawford. Two-run score, 3-2 Giants. Unreal. Just unreal. Of all times for that to have happened, and all of it starting with the error by VR. But Loop found a way from there, Crawford out trying to steal third for some weird reason. This was a strange game, top to bottom. Then a strikeout of Casale, a flyout from Tommy LaStella. Nice job by a loop, all things considered. Bottom of the seventh, the Mets, who had really been threatening all night, did something pretty remarkable. They hit into their fifth double play in seven innings. That's a very inventive way not to load up on at-bats with runners in scoring position, just to race the guy from first every time you have the chance. First time since 2018, the Mets hit into five double plays in a nine-inning game, just the eighth time in franchise history. Some of you old-timers might know the story of Joe Torre, who once hit into four all by himself as a Met, and he playfully blamed Felix Mian, saying if Mian hadn't kept getting on base all night, Torre wouldn't have done all that. The frustrating part of the five double plays Wednesday, beyond the obvious, they ran into two of them either on fly balls or line drives. Even the, the Giants' Darren Ruff got doubled off on a liner. It was like everyone was going to have to run laps after this one was done. 3-2 still into the bottom of the ninth. Jake McGee, 28 of 32 in save opportunities for San Francisco, but one of the blown ones against the Mets. With one out, Brandon Belt drops a foul pop, allowing VR to mash a single very next pitch. Brandon Drury, pinch hitting a specialty coming up. A game with Brandons everywhere. Belt, Crawford, Nimmo, Drury. This Brandon 
12 of 25 pinch hitting this year, best in baseball. Well, he skies one high in the air to left center. Somehow Austin Slater and Alex Dickerson clang together. The ball hits both their gloves. The ball drops. A huge break. Drury had actually spiked his bat Jeff McNeil style, figuring it was out number two, but no. Two on, one out, and Lindor gets his chance after all, but he pops it up. This time the catch is actually made. So the final shot comes from yet another Brandon. It's Nimmo, who's been wonderful against lefties all year, an on-base percentage of 481. Takes the count to three and two, as he always seems to do, and he works the walk to load him up for Pete Alonzo. One home run and two career at-bats against McGee for Pete. All you need here is a single. But he pops out to Listella, and the Mets lose. After the game, Luis Rojas meeting with the media. Hey, Luis, just what went into the decision to pull Taiwan there? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, starting the inning, uh, it, we, uh, we, we had a loop up just in case anything crazy happened. I mean, we know he's throwing a really good game. Uh, one hit, it's a homer only. But then the, the two plays dictated the decision, basically. Uh, you know, right into the first and second, no out. You have a guy like Brandon Crawford at the plate, who's our best, best hitter. Uh, and we have probably one of the best lefties in the league, you know, in Iron Luke, and he's come and done a good job for us. So we went with the matchup last third of the game, right? Seven inning up a run. Uh, you know, we felt that Lupe was going to come in and probably get that out. Uh, guys on deck, I mean, uh, we, we, we like the matchup with Lupe as well on the mound, but Crawford was our concern with the first and second off. Probably met him first one out. We don't do it two out, nobody on. Uh, we don't do it. You know, it's just a, the back-to-back plays where we should we probably recorded it two outs. Uh, led to a decision. Obviously, the loop's been lights out for you guys, and, and that is a, a matchup that you like. In the situation, though, do you, in that moment, take into account at all the way that Walker had been pitching and the way that those runners got on base, or was it a simple, if there are two runners on base, we're going with this matchup? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was going to be that. Uh, just the first and second, and shut it down. And we know how Walker's throwing the ball. You know, we we are aware of the way he's throwing the ball, the fastball being over, overpowering. You know, he's at 74 pitches. He's the third time through the lineup. Brandon Crawford's their best hitter. So third time seeing Walker through, like you know, we you know we 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 take that seriously as well. And even though Walker's throwing the ball well, so we won the with the Aaron Luke matchup. You know, who's it's probably been our best reliever this year, especially against Lefty. So that's that's where the decision came from. Knowing that it's going to be potentially a controversial decision and the first pitch goes for a double and, and two-run score, what is your immediate thought as that's taking place? Yeah, I mean, it, didn't, it didn't work. You know, now, now at that point, we just got to get out of that inning and minimize the damage, and Lupe did it. Kept us at one, at one run so we could, you know, probably have a chance to come back. So, it, you know, it didn't work. I mean, this is, this is some of the decisions are... Uh, we can call it aggressive because the way Walker was pitching, right? He didn't deserve to be out of the game, but the back-to-back plays just led to that decision. You know, he threw the ball well. He didn't. He did not want to come out of the game, as you guys saw him. He always wants to be in there, compete, especially the way he was throwing the ball. But um, after it happened, it was, you know, we just we just got to minimize the damage right now. You know, this doesn't happen to Lupe a lot. Every time he's gotten the ball to come in there in situations like this. Regardless if the pitcher has 80 pitches or 100 pitches, he comes in and he does, gets a jump, uh, jump down in the seventh inning like that. There is Luis Rojas. Man, oh man, the Mets out hit the Giants 10-4. Lose the game 3-2. All right, finally for today, let's get you to a little talk about 
the man who's going to have his number retired this weekend. Jerry Kuzman bobbleheads, of course, the first 25,000 fans Saturday night against Washington. Mets.com slash tickets to make sure you've got a place at the table. I'm starting to chat it up with some of Jerry Kuzman's former teammates, all of whom just freaking love this guy. Wayne Garrett's going to be there Saturday. Cleon Jones, Ed Cranepool, Ed Shamsky, and the great Ron Swoboda, who weighed in on his buddy last night. Well, you know, he was going back-to-back with Tom Seaver um, in 68 and in 69, and we sort of saw that uh, it didn't really matter on an awful lot of days, whether it was Tom Seaver or Jerry Kuzman. He measured up, and those two had a heck of a kind of a rivalry, you know, and most of it was not about wins in in, uh, their pitching end of it, but uh, who got the most base hits, um, you know, when they were hitting. But you saw him come in there in tough situations behind Tom Seaver and and was every bit as tough, maybe even in some cases a little tougher. I'm so glad you used the word tough because I'm curious, when you use that word and apply it to Jerry Kuzman. What exactly does it mean to you? How would you explain the toughness that, that he well, exhibited on the mound? Look, this is this is not in any way to detract from, from Tom Seaver, who deserves everything and, and all the praise that's been given him over the years. But there was late in 1969 a series with the Cubs in Shea Stadium when they came in here and it was going to be us or them in the National League East, and they knocked down Tommy Agee in the bottom of the first inning with Bill Hands out there on the mound for the Cubs, and we all looked around the, you know, the, the, the dugout and went, "That's a bad idea," because <laughs> Kuzi's out there, and, and and Ron Santo was leading off the top of the second inning, and. You know, to be honest with you, Tom Seaver might have thrown a ball a foot over his head or a foot behind him to give him the message. Kuzman threw his best fastball right at Santo's neck, and and Santo somehow whirled inward and got his forearm in the way of the ball, and it hit him with such a noise, it sounded like he cracked his forearm, uh, and, and Santo screamed. And I mean, it was like everybody went, oh my God. Um, and and turns out he, he stayed in the game because he was a pretty rugged boy himself. But the message was loud and clear. You guys want to get into a, a knockdown a tussle here? I don't think you do. And, and, and that, that was uh, just one example I can think of, of when uh, Kuzi uh, responded in a way that, that ended all that knockdown nonsense. I tell you what. In franchise history, Jerry Kuzman, second in starts, second in complete games and innings and shutouts. He's third in strikeouts, sixth in ERA, and helped the Mets win the 69 World Series. October 16, 69, that's the day that sealed the deal. Kuzman closing out the Orioles with a complete game to win the World Series at Shea. Legend has it, Kuzman had stormed into the dugout after the top of the third inning in that one. The Orioles had just scored three runs on two homers. Frank Robinson naturally had one of them, but the other one came from Dave McNally, the pitcher, in a bunting situation, no less. And Kuzman was cheesed off. I mean, forget about that Minnesota nice for the Minnesota native. He said, boys, let's go get some runs. They are not getting any more. And the Minnesota farm boy was true to his word. It will be great to thank him in person for all that Saturday night at 645, game time 710. Tonight, one more game against the Giants, and then goodbye, please. 
Carlos Carrasco is still looking for his first ever National League win for Luis Rojas. As for Gabe Kapler, he's got Wood. The lefty Alex Wood going for his 11th win of the year, game time 7-10. Carrasco will take the mound with a career record of 61-64. and His team will take the field with a season record of 61-65. and I hear the music, so let's do that last thing we always do. Let's introduce you to the Mets in the Morning House Band on keyboards. It's Scott Schoenweiss. Slapping the bass, it's Kelvin Chapman. The horn section, let's say hello to Vance Wilson. And kicking it on the drums, ladies and gentlemen, Pedro Astacio. Another frustrating loss for the Mets. Sorry to have reported it, but we do appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you tell people we're here. Do us a solid. Leave us a nice five-star review. Or four if you hate some of what we do. Three if you're really just cheesed off at the world. You're going to do what you're going to do. This is Josh Lewin. Thanks again. Take care.